Should you talk to kids about death? I'm Isabel Tom, and this is What's Important to You. What's Important to You is a podcast created by the Montgomery Hospice Center for Learning that gives intriguing insight on end-of-life topics. Every episode offers a new perspective on some often overlooked topics. If you're wondering how we name this podcast, then you got to visit www.montgomeryhospice.org podcast. Death and the end of life is already a heavy thing. So what do you do when there are children around? How much can they handle? How can you help them navigate death? What should parents, relatives, and professionals expect? If you've ever considered avoiding talking about death with kids, you will definitely want to listen in as I sat down with Carly, our manager of Montgomery Kids. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but at Montgomery Hospice, we also provide compassionate professional care for children who have a life-limiting illness. Carly heads a team of truly dedicated professionals, and what they do is truly special. So before we start, I want to give you a heads up and let you know that there are parts in this podcast where the sound may not be the best, but just push forward and listen in. It will be well worth it. All right, let's jump right in. What's your role here, Carly? I'm currently working as the manager with the Montgomery Kids team. In the community, a lot of times people are wondering when it comes to the end of life, how do you help children navigate that? And you're a mom, but right. you also have a lot of experience working on our Montgomery Kids team. Sure. Um, so I just wanted to kind of ask you some questions in terms of how we can help kids and their parents through this because it's a really difficult time. Sure. So why do you think most parents are afraid to have their children near someone at the end of life? I think that oftentimes parents will look at a child through the reasoning of an adult as opposed to the thoughts and the developmental stages of a child. So a lot of times we're putting, as a parent, I'm putting my thoughts about death in my child's mind and maybe I'm afraid they'll be fearful or um, nervous they don't want to come near the person they're just uncomfortable in general about death and dying and it oftentimes it's more that we don't know what to say we don't know how to Mm -hmm. handle the situation we don't know if it will be harmful to the child or make them scared or fearful do you think that we should keep kids away from people at the end of life or honestly sure that's a great question and from what I've experienced the very best approach is to ask the child I've been in numerous situations and numerous different children have answered this in different ways just simply saying do you want to come see your loved one that's sick do you want to say goodbye do you want to hold their hand allowing them that opportunity to say yes or no and then going from there. Some children will automatically say no, and some kids will say, yes, I do want to go. I want to see them. And so it depends on the child, their comfort level with dying, also what they've been around thus far. Some children have pets that have died. They may be a little more comfortable with it. Right. So it depends on a lot of factors, but the very best thing, what I've found in practice, is to encourage families to ask the children, do you want to come see your your loved one. That's so smart. I I never thought of that just to ask them. Right, to give them a, kind of a sense of control because they may be feeling very out of control in the scenario, watching people cry, watching the anxiety around the sick loved one. 
And so giving them a piece of control saying, what do you want to do? Do you want to come? Do you want to be part of this? Would you like to say goodbye? And one of the things I was thinking along with that <coughs> when I was asking you, like, should we keep children away was mm-hmm. I was going to ask, can they handle it? Right. Right. And, and often, so, yeah, right, do you think sure. they can? Or? I think it depends on the child. And I think it depends on where they're at developmentally. Um, children that are afraid probably would say, no, I don't want to go. Or if they are uncomfortable, they won't want to be part of that. Okay. Those that are curious may say, yeah, I want to be part of that. So I think it's important to just throw it back to the child. Well, there are some schools of thought that say that you shouldn't always leave it up to your child. So when I'm asking, like, can they handle it, is there ever a situation where, like, a child may say they can handle it? And what if, like, I wouldn't want a child to be traumatized because I asked them and they were curious and then they came and were completely frightened? That's a very good question. Um, what, What all research points to is that when a child does not feel like they're a part of it or included, they feel disrespected in a sense, and they feel more fear of the unknown. And what also is encouraged is that you use words that are, um, I guess, blunt, to put it lightly. You okay. Instead of beating around the bush like your, your grandpa passed away, you say your grandfather died. Um, even research suggests being honest in the essence of suicide and murders, that you be very direct with the child you know, if they ask you what happened to so-and-so, that you're very clear, short, simple words. If they want to know more, what research shows is they'll ask. If that satiates their curiosity, they're done. They'll walk away. They'll go play. Um, the other interesting things that children will do is they will imitate or they'll act out what they're fearful of through play, through little figurines or through sand art, through drawing. Mm-hmm. that they'll get a lot of, because they can't always verbalize what that means to them. So okay. they'll pull that out and get these feelings out some other way rather than verbalizing. So that's really interesting. So let's say it was like a murder or a suicide, sure. and they ask you more questions. Like you really should tell them the truth. What, what, it, what the best advice and what research points to and what clinicians do is they keep things very brief okay. so very concise and that the child as they age that they the questions will be more intense and there okay. will be more questions and more depth to them but for a four-year-old that first question may be enough and then he's often playing he may come back and ask again same question so kids will ask what they want to know they won't ask what they're afraid to hear okay in general that makes a lot of sense. Yes. That's Children so are very brilliant, too. <laughs> and we take for granted that they're not able to conceptualize. But yeah. what they will ask as much as their brain can handle the answer back to. And, and you said something about if they're not involved, then they're afraid. Are they more afraid of the unknown? That's, yes. The, the data all points that that causes more fear and also less... Less coping ability. So, to deal it, with are the you death. saying that later on, let's say another death occurs, right. or somebody they, where somebody else is near nearing the end, correct? Let's say in their family or close to them, then they may be more afraid, sure, because of what happened yes. before, because yes. they weren't involved, wow. withdrawn, and 
just, yes, the fear of the unknown of what that means and what that means to them. Will, will that mean that I'm going to die? And will that mean that my mom's going to die? You know, depending on who it is. Yeah. What are some suggestions when trying to help children understand what's going on? Basically, some just knowing that it's going to be different for every child. So if you have multiple children in your family, one child may respond to talking about the situation. Another child may become isolated and withdrawn. And the best way to encourage the feelings to come out is through drawing pictures, listening to them as they play, um, things like that, just kind of hearing them reenact what they're seeing. And for adolescents, it can be tricky. There can be anger. And even middle school age, there can be anger. There can be um, tantrums, cutting class, behaviors that aren't normally exhibited and that that's all normal, but it looks very different depending on the child and, you know, where they're at developmentally and who they are as a person, what their experience has been with death. They may start acting differently. Right. And that could be before the death occurs, right? While the person is sick. Absolutely, especially if it's a long illness where, you know, this is just going kind of a prolonged sickness that the person's been bedridden for a while and now they're starting to eat less, it can certainly start playing a role because there's less attention maybe being directed towards the children than towards the loved one. So sometimes cries for attention. Okay, so are there any situations, are there certain situations that we have to be aware of when we're like walking kids through this? Most importantly, I would recommend letting them exhibit any sort of outlet that they can and just knowing that this is normal not trying to put them in a position where they have to accept the death and go on with their life and go on living as normal because there's a lot of fears associated in a child's mind yeah fears of losing more loved ones around them fears of who's going to take care of me Um, am I going to get sick and die lots of things so kind of walking the journey as the child expresses and shows need Um, There's also some children that will completely look unfazed. They'll just completely go about life as normal and try to put it on a shelf, so to speak, just knowing that everybody will experience it differently and being in tune with catching those signs when there's, there's a new behavior or a new verbalization that's unique and just allowing them to be open and free to express. So, for example, if a child started acting up Let's say they started acting up when they were going to school. Like, mm-hmm. would you suggest pulling them out for a day? I mean, I'm not sure, sure, sure. but you know what? Yeah. You like, what type of accommodations sure. when you're thinking about the daily life of a child? They're going to school. That's sure. part of their daily routine. Yes, they're going to swimming lessons, whatever, to ever type of activities. Sure, routines are very important because that okay. gives a sense of control too, and it, that they're prepared for what their day will look like death can be very sudden or it can also be very kind of spontaneous so to speak so by having a structure and a routine in place for the child that's helpful for them Mm -hmm. with coping the other really important thing concerning school and children with death and dying is that it's really essential to let the counselors at school know if a loved one is terminally ill or if a loved one dies because the counselors can also help support the child and be aware of changes and Teachers can maybe give them a little, little more grace, knowing so that they know they're going, going through on, right something traumatic, 
and sometimes a day off here or there probably isn't a bad idea if you can spend time with your child and you know maybe take them somewhere special and see if they're up for that and just help them flesh out their emotions surrounding it or you can say draw what you're feeling inside and they may draw a happy face with a cloud or there's so many interesting illustrations from kids of people you know when they've lost a loved one it depends on the child and where they're at with acceptance and all but sometimes it the child is relieved because the sickness period has been so disruptive that now things feel normal again because they're getting attention they were not getting before or it's it's very different for each situation so what happens when a child does act up what does a parent do they're very important to keep them under control in a sense like keep you know if it was a, a punishable task before it's still a punchable task not negotiating right and wrong but just maybe being more loving about the scenario and maybe taking that time to pull them aside and say what you know let's let's draw a picture how you're feeling right now or can you tell me why you reacted the way you did or just trying to communicate with them freely and not criticizing what the response may be because it may be a you know, an unwanted response back. Yeah. You know, they may say, I, I hate you, I hate that you caused my daddy to die, or, you know, they may say things like that because they don't know what to do with the anger about the death. So just not, not criticizing their response, being open and allowing them to be expressive. <laughs> what about if it's their sibling that is... I mean, here at Montgomery Hospice, we have Montgomery kids, yes. so we have patients who are children, and then they have siblings who are sitting and they're watching this whole thing go on, Absolutely. you know? So I can, how, how sure. do you help with that? I can speak to some things that I've seen, and it, it depends, again, how old and everything, but a lot of the siblings of sick children, especially the chronic terminal children, they're watching their brother or sister not able to do what they used to do, getting weak, sleeping a lot. So sometimes the healthy child will exhibit physical manifestations. They'll have headaches or belly aches. They'll want to be home from school because they're sick. You know, just lots of things that are emotional but exhibited in the physical. Also withdrawal, you know, especially with adolescents. Um, I've seen where a brother or sister that was very close to his sibling is now staying farther from the family, you know, staying away from home, staying in the room, not wanting to be around the sick sibling. So it all depends, again, on their ages, but various things. Then you'll see some siblings that just take on the nurturing role. They'll want to help bathe or chapstick or they're task-oriented and wanting to help and nurture. Is there a difference when it comes to younger kids and older kids as to how how much they can handle or what they can handle? It's more of what they, that developmentally there's certain things with death that change as your child ages. So the younger group, I'd say probably four and under, I might not get these ages exact, but usually they have kind of a magical thinking about death. You know, you watch cartoons, you see Roadrunner get a big rock dropped on his head and the rock removed and he's up and running again. So sometimes they'll ask, is daddy coming back? Is mommy coming back? Where did they go? And a lot of kind of magical questioning. Um, you get into the older children and they can experience a lot of guilt. You know, I told mommy that I 
just different things. Like I, I told mom that I hated her and she left the house and didn't come back and I killed her. Things like that. A lot of guilt and owning the death, kind of feeling like you caused the death. Um, as you get into the adolescent stage, it's more concrete. You're more aware of they're they're gone, but what does that mean? Did they go anywhere? Mm -hmm. But you're aware that death is permanent. So as a child, a young child doesn't necessarily look at death as permanent. And certainly, um, whatever foundation the family has laid, um, spiritual supports and things can play a role in how a person experiences death as well and what they believe about after death. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to have to come back to this podcast again because you offer some really good advice. Now, if there's one thing we can do to help our kids to navigate through the end of life, which is already so, so hard for adults to handle, what would that be? I know it might be repetitive, but just really giving the child a chance to say if he wants to be involved or not and coming to say goodbye or even being part of picking out pictures for the memorial services and being involved in funeral plans to some degree. Um, just allowing them to have a voice and be part of it because if you keep them closer and you keep things open, there's a lot more acceptance of the process and a lot more understanding. You don't feel like you're on the sidelines, that you're not old enough to handle it, that you're not able to understand. Just staying part of the family in that respect. As a mom, I will remember this. Now that's it for today's podcast. Uh, a special thank you to Carly and, and the entire Montgomery Kids team for the phenomenal work that you do. Montgomery Hospice is a nonprofit hospice serving residents of Montgomery County, Maryland. Our team of doctors, nurse practitioners, nurses, spiritual counselors, social workers, certified nursing assistants, bereavement counselors, volunteers, our entire team works with our patients and their families to provide quality end-of-life care in homes, extended care facilities, and at Casey House, our acute care facility. If you want more information, visit our website at www.montgomeryhospice.org or call us at 301-921-4400. If you don't have a podcast app and that's just not working out for you, then you can always visit us at www.montgomeryhospice.org podcast to listen to our other great episodes. This is your host, Isabel Tom. Thanks again for listening to What's Important to You. Thank you.